Tonight, as you're having a seat, get your Bibles out and go with me to Exodus, the fourth chapter. Exodus chapter number four. Tonight, the title of our subject is Removing Reluctance with God. Removing Reluctance with God. I heard the historical account of Napoleon when he was getting ready to go into a battle, had some of his high-ranking officers that he was meeting with. As he was meeting with them, he was talking to them and laying out battle plans and showing them the land. And uh, suddenly something spooked his horse, and his horse just took off without him. And so seeing this happen, one of the young privates that was standing by the side there jumped on his own personal horse and went after Napoleon's horse, got a hold of it, and brought it back to him. Upon returning his horse to Napoleon and coming down to face his commander, Napoleon looked at him and he said, Well done, Captain. The young private just said, yes, sir. And he left and went straight to the supply closet there in the the tents and all that and went to the supply tent and picked out a captain's uniform, put it on, and went and moved all of his things from the private's quarters to the captain's barracks. See, I think oftentimes this type of a thought with things in the world, we think of these stories. We think of these things that happen. And yet God has a calling on each and every one of our lives. But maybe you're like me. And at times when you think about doing something for God, there might be that hesitancy, might be that reluctance like, who, God, me? Really? Maybe you're like David, who am I? And who is my family that you would choose me? Maybe you're like Saul when he first had his call before he got off, who was small in his own eyes, even though he was ahead above the rest, tall, handsome, and yet he thought of himself it's just little old me. And there's this reluctancy that I believe that if we can get a hold of the things of God, that that reluctancy will give way to the greatness of who God is. That it will allow God to move both in and through our lives. Because I believe this about you. You're here on a Wednesday night. You're watching online. You're pressing into the presence of God. You want to be used by God to do great and mighty things on the earth. You have a heart to move forward with God. You have a passion to go deeper, and you want God to do great and mighty things in your life. We find Moses in Exodus, the fourth chapter. Here he is, and he's had a meeting with God. He's 80 years old, and he has this moment on the backside of the wilderness. Just stop right there for a second. He's on the backside of the wilderness. Bad enough he's in the wilderness, right? But not only is he in the wilderness, he's in the backside of the wilderness. That means he's out in the sticks, if you will. We would call it Timbuk3 back in the day. Here he is. He's far away from everyone. He's shepherding sheep, and he's leading them. And he has this moment where there's a bush that's burning, and yet it's not consumed. And he meets up with God at that moment, and he has this call that he's going to deliver the children of Israel. God promotes Moses in an instant to lead the people that he's raised up. But in Exodus chapter 4, verse number 1 and 2, I want you to read this with me. Take a look at what Moses brings to God. Exodus chapter 4, verse number 1 says, that Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me, or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, The Lord has not appeared to you. Look at verse number 2. So the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A rod. Moses, for 40 years, was raised up in Pharaoh's house. You remember the story. 
Here he sees his brethren being mistreated and abused by the Egyptians, and he murders one of the Egyptians, buries him in the sand. The next day he comes by and he finds two of his people arguing, and he tries to break it up, and they say, are you going to kill us like you did the Egyptian? And he fears for his life because this thing is known, and he flees from Pharaoh out into the wilderness. And it's there that he meets up with Jethro, who becomes his father-in-law. It's there that he becomes a shepherd, and for 40 years, he's out there in the wilderness. For 40 years, he's leading sheep. For 40 years, he's still running, knowing that he can't go back to the place where his family is. Because if you remember, he had a mom and a dad that didn't fear Pharaoh's command. They feared God, and they kept the baby alive as long as they could until they committed him to the ark that they put out in the waters of the Nile. His sister, Miriam, followed that ark and watched as it floated down the river to Pharaoh. He had an older brother who was three years older than him named Aaron. And so here he is, and he gets this call, and here he comes to God, and he says, suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Why would he say that? He's saying that because the last time we tried this, God, they rejected me. Are you going to kill me like you did the Egyptian? Who made you a judge over us? Why are you going to lead us? And now here God says, I want you to lead my people. And he says, what if, God, what if I get rejected again? God, what if I hit the same brick wall again? God, what if this happens to me one more time and they don't listen to my voice? What if they say the Lord has not appeared to you? What if they say you're crazy? A burning bush? Who ever heard of such a thing? You must have been tripping on something. Maybe you passed some gypsum weed on the way in the wilderness. Started hallucinating or something like that. My goodness, Moses. But notice that God tells him what's in your hand. What was in his hand was a natural thing. What was in his hand was something that he needed for his occupation of the past 40 years. What was in his hand was a rod, but not just a rod. It was a shepherd's rod. Shepherd had that so that they could guide the sheep and lead them where they wanted them to go. They also had it in case in the wilderness some wild animal came against the sheep and tried to tear them apart. They could use that as a weapon. I believe that God was saying to Moses, what's in your hand? Because he's saying, what has led you to this place is what will sustain you in the future. Can I put it to you like this? Everything you go through is preparation for your future. You say everything, Pastor? Everything. Everything. You remember Peter, the moment he met up with Jesus there on the boat, and Jesus said, can you just push out a little bit from shore so I can teach He taught the people, and afterwards he looked at Peter and said, I want you to launch out in the deep for a catch. Peter says, all night we've toiled. We haven't caught a thing, but at your word, I will launch out. He launches out, and so many fish get caught in those nets that they can't even pull them up into the boat. starts breaking the nets. Peter falls down at the feet of Jesus and says, Lord, go for me, for I'm a sinful man. And Jesus says, no longer will you be out here doing this, Peter. I will make you a fisher of men. In other words, everything that you've done, Peter, every part of your past, everything that you learned by back-breaking all-night labor, everything that you went through... 
even all the sin I can redeem and I can take those things that led you to this point to fall down at my feet, humble yourself and say, can you just go for me because I'm sinful. I'm going to take all of that to this point and I'm going to use it for your future because you're going to have backbreaking labor. You're going to be up all night, Peter, praying. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be tried. You're going to have to mend nets. You're going to have to mend relationships. You're going to have to come back and say, I'm sorry when you're wrong. But Peter, you're going to be a fisher of men. You will cast a net on the day of Pentecost and throughout your life and you will catch people for the kingdom of God. And it's no different with Moses. Moses had that rod in his hand. Why? Because he was going to lead people like sheep. Lots of them. People who would wander. People who would complain. People who would try and go away from God. Wasn't it better back in Egypt? Let's go back. And yet Moses would raise that rod and it would part the sea. Moses would take that rod and he would strike a rock and water would pour forth from it. My goodness, when Moses had the rod of God in his hand, it symbolized that he was leading the people. Everything Moses went through, even the rejection, even being raised up in Pharaoh's household, it equipped him to go to this Pharaoh that he was about ready to go and tell, let my people go. He knew where the palace was. He knew how they were acting. He knew their thought processes inside and out. But guess what else he knew? He knew what it was like to be lonely. He knew what it was like to be out there with the sheep, moving them. He knew where all the good spots were. That's why he was on the back side of the wilderness. He was taking them to pasture. And so now here he knows this place like the back of his hand, and he's about ready to lead. It's estimated anywhere between 400,000 and a million people out of Egypt. Everything you go through is preparation for your future. Think about this. In terms of eternal life, all that we do here on earth is in preparation for kingdom living and ruling and reigning with Jesus forever and ever. You think about that? Book of Revelation, it says, and they will reign forever with him. It says that we are the body of Christ, that we're seated with him in heavenly places. You know where Jesus is? He's in the position of authority. He's at the right hand of the Father. We are seated in Christ in heavenly places. We will rule and reign with him forever. Everything we go through, ruling over the powers of darkness on this earth, ruling over our lives and our passions, submitting ourselves to God and operating in kingdom ways and learning the kingdom authority, learning kingdom love, learning faith, all of those things are in preparation for what we're going to do for eternity. Wow. The Bible says we'll judge angels. In the parables, Jesus gave them stewardship and authority over cities. Everything that we do here is in preparation for our future. Can I ask you this tonight? What's in your hand? See, some of us, we take a look at what's in our hand and we say, well, I was the son of a nobody. In fact, I don't even know who my daddy is. Some of us, we might say, I was born on the wrong side of the tracks. Never got a break in life. Some of us, we might say, well, I was born to affluence. And yet, even though I had both parents in the house, I, I probably couldn't tell you too much about them because they were always working. And I was lonely, raised by people who were not my family. 
See, whatever your background is, God is saying, what is in your hand? Because it's what's in your hand that I'm going to take to prepare you for your future. may not look like you think it's going to look like. Moses didn't think that delivering the children of Israel probably at the time when he killed that Egyptian, he probably didn't think that it was going to look like a staff in his hand, a shepherd's staff. That he would throw down and it would turn into a snake. He would pick it up and it turned back into a rod. Probably didn't think that it would be a staff in his hand that as he lifted it up and as he prayed to God that the army down there in the valley would win the battles. So long that he had to have Aaron, his brother, and another guy named Hur, H-U-R, not H-E-R, Hur come and lift up his hands so that he could keep them up so that they could continue to win the battles. Probably didn't look like that. Probably never thought of those things. He probably thought it was going to be with the wisdom of the Egyptians beating them at their own game, knowing their plans, knowing how they battle. And yet it came because of what God had done in his life up to that place. See, what you have in your hand is worth more to you than what you don't have. Let me say that again. What you have in your hand is worth more to you than what you don't have. See, many times we take a look at someone else's life and we say, well, I don't got a testimony like them. I guess God can't use me because I never did all that stuff. Yet God is saying what you have in your hand is more valuable to you and to your future. I'm using that. I'm going to take what's in your hand to prepare you for your future. Don't look over here. Don't look over there. That's for them. This, what's in your hand, that's for you. I placed that there in your hand. Everything you have came from God. Everything that you are, everything that you ever will be, every breath that you breathe, you can't even store up enough air to keep yourself alive for more than six minutes. Here's the deal. God gave you everything that you have, everything that you are. So whatever's in your hand is there because God placed it there. And so we ought to say, you know what? Thank you, God, for what's in my, thank you for my upbringing. God, thank you for my past, God. Thank you that it didn't take me out. Or thank you, God, that I had a good past, Lord. See, that's worth more to you than what you don't have. The experience of forsaking his status in Egypt and siding with the people of God proved more valuable to Moses than any position he ever had in Egypt. See, Moses, in the future, we learn about him in Hebrews chapter number 11. You know it as the hall of faith, oftentimes it's referred to. And in Hebrews 11, verse 24 through 27, if you want to put your finger there in Exodus, we'll come back to the chapter 4 in Exodus. But, but turn over with me to Hebrews chapter number 11. And in Hebrews chapter 11, I'm going to read verse number 24 through verse number 27. Let's take a look at it together. What you have in your hand is worth more to you than what you don't have. Hebrews eleven twenty four starts out and says this. It says, by faith. Everybody say, by faith. Oh, come on. Say it again. Say, by faith. Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Remember, Moses had something. But there was something that God was going to place in his hand that would be more valuable to him in the long run. So he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. How did he do that? He did that by faith. Verse 25, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Moses could have said, God, why didn't you make me an Egyptian? If you wanted me to be Pharaoh's son, why didn't you have me born to to Pharaoh? Why didn't you have me be born to Pharaoh's daughter? But it says that he chose affliction. He wouldn't look at what he didn't have, the prosperity, the peace, all of the wonderful things in Pharaoh's house, the food and the drink, the status, 
the gold and the silver, all of the things that he could have had there. No, he says he chose to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Verse 26, esteeming the reproach of Christ. What's that next word right there? Greater. Greater what? Greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. He said, for me to be associated with the people of God, that's more valuable to me than being a part of Pharaoh's household. This is greater riches than all the treasures in Egypt. Look at this. For he looked where? To the reward. The reward was not here on the earth. The reward is in heaven. He looked to the reward. Abraham, I am your son and your shield. You are exceeding great reward. See, church, oftentimes we take a look at the things we don't have. Well, I don't have a lot of money. I don't have a lot of wisdom. I don't have what they have. I don't, I don't have, uh, you know, this gift that they've got. I don't, I don't got all these things. I don't, I don't got that stuff. And yet God says, don't look at what you don't have. Look at what I've placed in your hand. And if you'll be faithful with what's in your hand, then there is a reward that's coming, a well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. God himself will be your reward. Look to him because everything you go through is preparation for your future. Someone ought to praise God right there. See, without his training as a shepherd, how could Moses lead the people? God was showing him that the staff in his hand was valuable. It symbolized the faith he had to leave his place in Egypt and find his family in the people of God. Let's read on in Exodus chapter number 4, this time verse number 10 through verse number 12. God continues to speak to Moses, and he talks to him about what the staff is going to do, what that rod, when he uses it, and the signs that he's to use. And then verse number 10 comes along, and it says this in Exodus chapter 4, verse number 10. Then Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent. Neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. He says, God, I'm not good with the words. That's not my thing, God. I, I, I can't do it. I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue. I like how he says, not before. I, I wasn't this way before. It's not just because I'm standing here talking to a burning bush. But he also says, not after, like, Meeting up with you hasn't changed too much here, God. Verse number 11. So the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I, the Lord? Verse 12. Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall Say, I love the fact that God says, I'll be with your mouth. Isn't that cool? I'll be with your mouth. When you speak, I'll be right there with your mouth, teaching you what you must say. You may be slow, Moses, but when you speak, I'll be with your mouth. You know, in the book of Acts, it says that Moses was mighty in word. Why? Because God was with his mouth. God was taking a hold and creating, forming, bringing things back, backing up the word that the man of God spoke. Wow. God was with his mouth. That shows me that we're to look to God's strength and not to our insufficiencies. See, many times we're reluctant because we look at ourselves and we say, God, you going to use this? Really? With my past? With all my screw-ups? 
God, after I became a Christian, it seemed like it got worse. And you want to use me? God, I don't think I can. God gives you a call to go and teach in the youth. Ooh, God, I was a mess as a youth. You want to use me? You don't want to use me. Use one of those good kids, man. I saw them somewhere in church. God, use someone else. And God says, no, I'll be with your mouth. I'll help you out. God sends you to go minister with rock in the streets. He said, wait a second, I worked all my life to get out of the hood. Now you're going to send me back to the hood? God, why? What if they judge me? What if they say, nah, that's not anything. God says, I'll be with you. We need to look to God's strength and not to our insufficiencies. I heard a joke about a man who went to a therapist and lay down on the couch and said, doctor, I'm just a wreck. Someone told me that I have an inferiority complex. The doctor said, well, let's talk about that. Let's see about your life, and I'll let you know whether or not you have one. So after an hour of talking, the doctor looked at the man. He said, I've got good news and bad news for you. He says, Doc, give me the good news. I need some good news in my life. He says, okay. Well, the good news is, is that you don't have a complex. Says, oh, Doc, that's great news. What's the bad news? He says, well, the bad news is that you really are inferior. <laughs> terrible joke, I know. It's a terrible joke. I hate it. I, I hate that joke. Bad joke. But it's funny, isn't it? Here's the thing. Can I just break the news to everybody in this place? We're all sinners in need of a Savior. Every single one of us is weak, and we can't make it on our own. You, can, can, can we just take a deep breath in and go, oh, okay, great. I don't have to be perfect in order to be used by God. Wonderful. Here's the thing. You just got to be available. You just got to be ready to follow. You just got to have a heart that if you mess up, you dust off, you repent, and you keep going with God. You just got to be someone who says, here I am, Lord, send me. God's got something for you. And guess what? By nature, we're all sinful. We're all broken. We're all going to make mistakes. But we don't live in those mistakes. We live in the grace and the victory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We live from his place. See, Moses and God's interactions show us that we should not look to ourselves and our own insufficiencies or inferiority. But rather, we look to God and we look to his strength. See, if God is sending us, then he will strengthen us. Let me say that again in case you missed it. You might want to write this down. If God is sending us, then he will strengthen us. God doesn't order anything that he can't take care of. It's not a bill that God runs up that he won't pay. Hello? You've heard it said, where God guides, he provides. God is leading you, and he's got provision for you along the way. He knows what he's going to do. He knows how he's going to do it. Obedience is the key. Don't fight with God. God, I can't speak. God, I can't do this. God, I don't have any money. God, I'm not educated. God, I'm not smart. God, I'm not nice. God, I don't know. God, uh, you know, I just can't do it. Don't fight with God. When God says, I'll be, with, I'll be with your mouth, I'll be with your ugly, I'll be with your education, I'll be with your everything, I'll be with your brain, right? God will be with you. Praise the Lord for that, right? Because we need them. Otherwise, listen, if God's not in this, it's destined to fail. And that's where we cling to him and we say, God, it's only by your strength that this is going to happen. Look at what verse 27 of Hebrews chapter number 11 says. Hebrews eleven twenty-seven. by faith. Everybody say, by faith. We're still talking about Moses. He forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. 
for he endured. How did he do that? As seeing him who is invisible. Moses didn't look to the natural. He didn't look to the physical. He didn't look to the things that he could see or he could calculate or the things that he could understand. No, he looked as seeing him who is invisible. If you can with the eye of faith, not with a natural eye, not with a natural mind, but with the eye of faith, look and see God in your situation. Look and see God in your future. Look and see God in your neighborhood. Look and see God in your family. Look and see God in your marriage. Look and see God with your children. If you can look and see God, then you can see success because my God never fails. All he does is win, like the song says. Somebody say, ha ha. Moses learned how to look to God rather than to himself. Didn't the apostles learn this as well? Remember when Peter stretched out and lifted the man up, leaping and jumping and running around, testifying of the goodness of God? And that big crowd gathers. And what does Peter say? He's men of Israel. Why do you look to us? Don't, don't look here. Look there. We didn't do this by our own holiness or by our own power. It was God who raised up this man to be perfectly whole in your sight. Now, what the Apostle Paul said, he said, I had a call. I had something that God was leading me to do. And yet a messenger of Satan was given to me, a thorn in the flesh that buffeted me again and again and again and again. I personally believe this was the Jews coming after him from city to city. I mean, you think about it in the book of Acts. We were studying this on the weekends. They followed him everywhere he went. Stirred up trouble everywhere he went. Sometimes they followed him from one town to the next. They'd stir up a group of people, cause riots, all this stuff going on. They'd kick them out of towns and then they'd follow him to the next town. It was over and over and over and over again. He says, I've got this messenger, a thorn in the flesh that buffets me. He says, I pleaded with the Lord three times to remove it. And God said, my grace is sufficient for you. Don't look to the flesh. Don't look to the pain. Don't look to the insufficiency or the I can't or this is hurting God or the, the, the inferiority. I, I'm not like these other guys. I, I'm not like Apollos who's eloquent and who can speak. I'm, I'm not like these super apostles. No, I'm just me. But my grace is sufficient for you, God says. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Apostle Paul goes on to say, therefore, I will glory in my weaknesses. I will celebrate those things that are weak in me, that the power of God may rest upon me. That's why that joke is actually funny. You are inferior, right? We can all say a hearty amen. Yeah, I can't do it. I don't got a complex. I just know that in my natural sinful flesh, I'm not going to make it. In my natural carnal mindset, I can't calculate. I can't think it out. I can't do it. And yet, if God is with me, if God is on my side, if God is sending me, then God will strengthen me. Exodus, this time, chapter number 5, verse 22 and verse number 23. Moses has finally gone and talked to Pharaoh at this point. Tells Pharaoh, let the children of Israel go three days into the wilderness so that they can worship and celebrate a feast to the Lord. Pharaoh says, who's the Lord that I should listen to him? He says, apparently the people are so lazy that they've got time to go and celebrate. I'm going to increase their workload. And by the way, I'm not giving them straw for bricks any longer. And so he increases the workload and he makes the conditions harsher 
on the people. And the people come to Moses and say, why have you made us distasteful? You put a sword in Pharaoh's hand to kill us. In Exodus chapter number 5, look at verse number 22 and verse number 23. Exodus 5, 22, it says, So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it that you've sent me? Verse 23, for since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he's done evil to this people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. Now, in the natural, just looking at the story up to this point, Moses is right. Pharaoh hasn't let him go. Pharaoh hasn't said, oh, you're right. The people haven't had any burdens lifted. In fact, it's worse. If Moses wouldn't have showed up, it'd be better for the people at this point. But look at what God responds in chapter number 6, verse number 1 through verse number 3. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will let them go. And with a strong hand he will drive them out of this land. Verse 2, And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. Everybody say that with me. I am the Lord. Let's just remember for a second who is God and who is not. Let's remember who declares the end from the beginning. Let's remember who's the one who speaks and planets exist. Let's remember the one who knit us together in our mother's womb. Let's remember the one who holds everything together, seen and unseen, by the power of his word. Let's remember that he is the Lord. Verse number three. Verse number three, I appeared to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob as God Almighty. The original language, that is El Shaddai. God showed up to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This family, this trio, the patriarchs. He says, I showed it to them as God Almighty. El Shaddai. But then he goes on and he says this. But by my name, Lord, I was not known to them. That name, Lord, some of you guys know it as Jehovah. Some of you guys know that name, Lord, as Yahweh. It is the covenant name that God gave to the nation of Israel. When God says something like this, he's making a significant distinction and he's doing it on purpose. And it's contained for thousands of years in the scriptures for us today to learn something. See, God showed up to Abraham when Abraham was coming out of Mesopotamia, Ur of the Chaldeans. Abraham's father, Terah, on the other side of the river, the Bible records in Joshua chapter number 24, verse number 2, that Terah worshipped other gods, lowercase g, little g gods, on the other side of the river. That means that Abraham was raised in an environment where they worshipped the moon, they worshipped the created things, they worshipped idols. In fact, you'll find that when Jacob goes to his uncle Laban, and there he marries his wives Leah and, and Rachel, that Rachel steals her father's household idols and she takes them with her in their tent. And eventually he has to call his household together and say, if there's any foreign gods from among you, lowercase g, little gods, I want you to bring them to me. And he buried them under a tree. 
to get rid of them and to consecrate their household before God. Here's the reason why I believe that God showed up as El Shaddai, God Almighty, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was revealing himself as the one true and living God. Making a distinction between himself and the idols. In other words, these were, if you will, quote-unquote, pagan peoples. That's a weird way of saying about Abraham because we think of him as the father of faith. But why was he the father of faith? Here's the reason why. Because everything he was raised with was different than what he was following. So he had a revelation of God Almighty, creator of the heavens and the earth, the one true God. And he passed that revelation on to his son Isaac, who would in turn pass it along to his son Jacob. And Jacob, you remember, he said, God, if you're really who you say you are, then I'm going to travel. And when I come back to this place, I'll give you a tithe, right? Because God showed up in a dream and started speaking destiny and purpose to him. He says, I appeared as El Shaddai, God Almighty to them. He said, but Moses, I'm giving you guys a different name. I'm going to give you guys a new revelation of who I am. And tonight, let me say this to each and every one of the people listening to this message, whether you're live, online, or whether you're watching a replay later on. God wants to reveal newness of his nature to you. God wants you to grow in your understanding because, yes, God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. Yes, he is God Almighty. Yes, he is El Shaddai. He is the one true and living God. But God is also Lord. He is Yahweh. He is Jehovah. What does that mean? That's a good question, isn't it? Got you all worked up? Then ask you a question. Bam. It means simply this. Pharaoh is not Lord. Moses is not Lord. Aaron, his brother, his spokesman eventually, the high priest eventually, is not Lord. There is one Lord. Lord, if you remember in kind of the old English terms, meant somebody who was an owner, somebody who had a, a realm that they oversaw, somebody who was the overseer and who was the final say in that realm. Every king has a realm. You following me? So the Lord of the realm is the one who has the say in that realm. Pharaoh said, who's the Lord? I don't know the Lord, right? Because remember at this time, the Pharaoh's declared that they were gods. That's their delusion. That's what they thought. That's why they would embalm them because they thought that they were going to live forever. That's why they had all kinds of gold and silver surrounding them. Because they believed that they were gods and they were going to live forever. So Pharaoh says, I don't know the Lord. I'm the Lord. I'm the one who rules over this place. Moses knew he wasn't the Lord. He's not in charge. There is one who is in charge of everything, and that is God Almighty. That is El Shaddai. But guess what? He reveals the newness of his nature. He is the boss. He is El Jefe. Come on, somebody in Espanol. This is the one who we are following. And when you let God lead, he reveal himself as Lord. When you let God lead, he will reveal himself as Lord. Lord over your situation. Lord over your life. 
Lord over your mind, Lord over your activities, Lord over your household, Lord over how you lead others, Lord over how you rule over the situations in your life, Lord over the devil, Lord over every demon, Lord over every opposition that comes against your life, Lord over your decision making, Lord over your finances, Lord over your future. God will lead you, and if you let him lead, then he will reveal himself as Lord. And that is his covenant name. In other words, you have a promise from God that God will be with you and that everywhere you go, he has rulership and authority over every situation that you will ever encounter. God wants to reveal to you his leadership. God wants to reveal to you his lordship, that he has dominion. In other words, he has power to rule. Wow. God wants to reveal his greatness. See, Pharaoh was going to drive them out by a mighty hand. But the one whose mighty hand and outstretched arm that delivered the people of Israel, his name is the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah God. And that same God that took probably a million people and brought them out from underneath slavery to the greatest nation at that time, the greatest military power of that time, the wealthiest and wisest nation of that time. God delivered them with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. That same God is the Lord of your life if you're a Christian. That same God is the one who has dominion and authority and rulership in your present-day circumstances. That same God is the God who will move on your behalf, the one who will deliver you, the one who will heal you, the one who will bless you, the one who will be with you, the one who will lead you into your future. He is Lord over all. So how do we overcome reluctance with God? Here's how. Let him lead. Release the reins of your life and let him reign. He is Lord. Can we pray together tonight? Father, we're so grateful as we come into your presence tonight and hear your word, God, that we can be stirred in our spirits. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are overcoming our reluctance, God. Lord, we do want to be humble before you, but not with a false humility that discredits and discounts your power and your ability in our life. We thank you, Father God, for every step that we've taken to this place. We see it as preparation for our future. We look to your strength, God, and not to our insufficiencies. Lord, in our weakness, be made strong. And Lord, we let you lead. We thank you that you give us the revelation of who you are as Lord. Tonight in this holy moment, would you just pray this prayer and say, God, what are you speaking to me? Even if you're watching online, God wants to speak to you in this moment. Just pray that prayer. God, what are you speaking to me? Are there areas of your life you've not yet let him lead? If so, if there's places that God doesn't yet have authority and rulership in, would you just declare him Lord in those areas of your life?
Is there areas of your life that you said, I'm weak? Why me, God? Maybe you bellyached to God. Just take a moment and give those things, those weaknesses, those insufficiencies, those fears. Just lift them up to the Lord and say, God, in my weakness, would you be made strong? What is God speaking to you? Tonight, if you haven't already written it down, write it down. I know that if I don't write stuff down, I forget. So I encourage you, put a pen to paper. Maybe commit it to a note on your phone or if you have a smart device with you, take a note. If you're here with a faith-filled friend, maybe a spouse, someone that you trust, maybe you're watching online with some friends or some family that you can share this with, I want to encourage you just to share it with them right now. Maybe you want to show them the note. Maybe you want to whisper it in their ear and say, God's been speaking this to me. God told me this, making him Lord over this area of my life. I've been really weak and I've been holding back because of that and yet I'm asking God to be made strong. Just let him know right now. There's accountability when we share. There's also agreement and there's power in agreement. One can put a thousand to flight and two can put 10,000. There's power in our unity and in our agreement. Father, thank you for those things that you've spoken to us tonight, God. Lord, we will diligently follow and make you Lord in every area of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to take these last few moments and talk to you about your eternal life. It'd be a tragedy if we had such a good time in the Word of God, cheered and shouted, prayed and sang, had such a wonderful time and let you go, and your heart wasn't right and you died and you ended up in hell. I don't want that for you. You don't want that for you. But more than both of us, God doesn't want that for you. That's why he sent Jesus beaten, bloody, and hung on a cross. That's why he died, was so that you and I didn't have to die and go to hell. And yet there's a lot of people that ignore even the reality of hell. They say, it's not real. I don't have to worry about it. You know, that's just a, a fairy tale that parents tell their kids to scare them into being good. And yet, all throughout the Bible, you'll find the subject. You find it Old Testament, New Testament. Jesus himself spoke of it. It's a very real place, and it doesn't go away because you ignore it. You're going to have to face the reality of it. You might be thinking, well, Pastor, I think you're being very mean talking to us about it. Why would you have to be mean-spirited and talk about bad things? Yet, what if my kids were playing in the street, and I only talked about good things while they were playing in the street, and there was cars coming at them? You'd say, you're unfit to be a parent. Why would you allow your children to stay and play in the street? If I saw my children, there was a car coming at them, I would yell at them, and I probably wouldn't be nice about it. And afterwards, I'd give them a scolding. Why? Because you're not to play in the street. Cars can come and you can be harmed. You're too valuable for me than that. Can I tell you this tonight? Here's the reason why I'm telling you about the reality of the future. is because I love you. And I love you too much to let you die and go to hell. I love you enough, respect you enough, and honor you enough to tell you the truth. Sometimes people say, well, pastor, all roads lead to heaven. No, they don't. That's a wonderful thought. But you don't find that in the Bible. I wish it were that way. Then we could do whatever we want to do. We wouldn't even have to come to church at that point, right? And yet, the Bible says that God has placed eternity in the heart of man. Yet he can't find it out. God put that in all of us. That eternal purpose. 
Eternity's in our heart, and you're going to seek after it all your life, but you're not going to find it wandering around. You know, if I told you all roads lead to the moon, you'd say, you're crazy. You'll never make it to the moon driving around the earth. So what makes us think that we're going to make it to heaven by doing whatever we want to do? Listen, it's God's heaven. We've got to get there God's way. Say, oh, good, pastor. I know God's way is by being good. I used to be bad, but I cleaned up my act. I've been really good lately. I'm not as bad as the other guys. You know, I haven't murdered, haven't committed adultery. I've been really, really good. You know, I'm not on any of those hard drugs. You know, just the legal ones. We're okay. It's all good. Yeah, did you know that nowhere in the Bible say you can be good enough to earn your way into heaven? There's no brownie points with God. You can't be good enough to earn your way into heaven. No matter how much good you do. I had one guy tell me, Pastor, I'm working on my resume. Listen, God's not looking for your resume. Because the Bible tells us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You're not going to make it to heaven just by being good. And our goodness compared to God's goodness, the Bible says like filthy rags, going to get thrown out, not going to get to stay. Listen up, because your eternal life is on the line. Some of you said, well, pastor, okay, I get that, but I was raised in church. My parents told me you were Christians growing up. Maybe they hung a cross or St. Christopher around your neck. Had you baptized or christened as a child? You went to religious classes like Sunday school, Sabbath school, catechism class. You always consider yourself to be a Christian. Born in America, America is a Christian nation. Everybody born in America is going to heaven. We're not any other religions. Therefore, we're Christians, right? Wrong. Do you know that nowhere in the Bible does it say that because you attend religious classes, wear religious jewelry, do religious rituals, be born in the right home, the right nation, or because you're not something else that by default God lumps you in the category of being a Christian, headed for heaven, denying your presence in hell. It doesn't work like that. Okay, pastor, but it wasn't just a childish thing. I get that. But here I am sitting in church in front of you right now. Doesn't that mean that I'm a Christian? Well, no. Because the Bible records there were people who sat in church that when they meet up with Jesus, even though they did miracles, even though they prophesied in his name, Jesus said to this group of people, away from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. That shows me there's going to be some good church people that don't make it to heaven. can't just sit in church service, call yourself a Christian, that makes you a Christian. There's no abrac- magical abracadabra words, poof, I'm a Christian. Log into a church service online, that's like me logging into an auto website and saying, I'm a car. It'll never happen. Can't sit in church, call yourself a Christian, that makes you a Christian. But pastor, my last church I got involved, I helped out, I sang in the choir, carried the pastor's Bible, made decisions. People thought of me as a leader. I even got a membership card to that church. Taught in the Bible classes. And while that's great, and I'm glad you did those things, show that to me in the Bible, could you? Where that'll get you into heaven. It's not there. God's not looking for your volunteer hour sheet or a membership card to a church like some bank commercial saying, what's in your wallet? Pastor, I know God. Someone told me that if I knew God, I'm, I'm okay. They were out witnessing, and they said, do you know God? And I said, yeah, I know God. They said, we're, oh, then we don't need to talk to you. You're fine. I know about Jesus. know about the baby in the manger singing the songs at Christmas every year of my life. Nobody Easter and the resurrection. I could quote scriptures to you, Pastor, Old and New Testament. Yeah, so can the devil. You'll find that in Matthew, the fourth chapter. Devil quoting scriptures. He's not a Christian. We know he's headed for the lake of fire. The demons believe and they tremble. Why? Because they know they're not going to make it. So this is not about what you have up here in your head. Everybody look up here at me for a second. Come on. I know I've been talking for a while, but focus in because your eternal life's at stake. Watch online. Take a look at your screen right now. This is not about what you have in your head, having mental assent or head knowledge about who Jesus is that gets you right with God. Not about memorizing scripture, singing a song, celebrating a holiday. But rather, are you watching? It's about your heart. 
God's always been after your heart. Jesus said it like this. He said, you must be born again. Not that goofy, weirdo stuff you've seen in Hollywood movies, television, books, and blogs on the internet. But what God says about it from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. Being born again has simply mean, meant this. It means that you've given God all of your heart. Remember, God's after your heart. You've got to give it to him. Give him all of your heart. And you give it to God all of your life. It's all or nothing with Jesus. Let me prove it to you. Last book of the Bible, book of Revelation. Jesus is speaking to a church. Just like he's speaking to us here in this church live and online right now. And he says, when I come, I want to find you hot or I want to find you cold. Because if I find you lukewarm, he says, I'll vomit you from my mouth. Pretty gross. Pretty graphic words in the mouth of Jesus, wouldn't you say? Well, what's he talking about? Jesus is saying that lukewarm Christianity is not real Christianity at all. So what is lukewarm? Well, it's a little in, a little out, a little up, a little down, a little token prayer every now and again. Occasional church attendance. God is something in your life, but he's not everything. You're not opposed to God, but you're not wholehearted for God. Listen, if that's your relationship with Jesus, you're not going to make it. How do I know that? Because only people that are not real Christians will be ejected and rejected from the body of Christ. So tonight, I want to give you an opportunity to give God all of your heart and to give God all of your life. In a moment, I'm going to count to three just like this. One, two, three. When I say three, I'm going to pop my hand on this microphone. Bang, just like that. When you hear the sound of my hand pop on that microphone, just like that. Bang, that's your opportunity to simply raise your hand. What you're doing by the raising of your hand is you're saying something. You're making a statement. You're saying, I want to give God all my heart. I want to give God all my life. I want to be born again. Headed for heaven, denying my presence in hell. I'll see your hand go up. I'll count it. You can put it right back down. You might be thinking, whoa, 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 wait a second. Time out, Pastor. If I raise my hand, I'll be embarrassed. Pastor, there's people in the sanctuary tonight. If I raise my hand, they'll see me. Mm -hmm. Pastor, I'm watching online with my family and my friends. If I raise my hand, they'll see me. Mm -hmm. Jesus said this. He said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father who's in heaven. But if you're ashamed of me, I will be ashamed of you. Tonight, it's your call. Tonight, it's your choice. You can sit there and do nothing. You made a choice. Or how about this? Get ready to get your hand up. Be bold. Be brave tonight. Jesus went to a cross, beaten bloody, a public spectacle. You can raise a hand in this safe and friendly church service. Men, you qualify for that statement. If you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father. Listen, it's better to be embarrassed for a moment than it is to end up in hell forever and ever and ever and ever. Don't make that trade tonight. Tonight, who should raise their hand? If you've been running from God instead of to God, I'm speaking to you. Who should raise your hand if you're not sure about your salvation? Make sure. Who should raise your hand if you've never done this before? Never given God all of your heart, never given God all of your life, I'm speaking to you. Finally, who should raise their hand? If you're lukewarm in this place, you know that's the condition of your heart when I described it. Get ready to get your hand up. I'm going to count to three. Pop my hand on this microphone. If that's you, you need to get right with God. Get your hand up all together on the count of three, both live and online. Are you ready? Here we go. One, two. Three, let me see your hands. Just raise them up high for me right now. Thank you. There's one, two. God bless you guys. Three up here. Thank you. Who else tonight? Need to give God all of your heart, and you need to give God all of your life. There's three wise people already. Anybody else tonight need to give God all of your heart? Need to give God all of your life. Online, if you haven't already raised your hand, go ahead and pop it up right now. Come on, don't be afraid. Be bold. Anybody else real quick? Want to make sure. It's going to give you one more moment. If you feel the spirit of God tugging at your heartstrings, heart's getting ready to beat out of your chest. Maybe you broke out in a cold sweat and you're just wishing I'd stop this and end this already. Hey, God's speaking to you right now. That's you. 
If you're sitting there wondering if you should do this, yeah, you should. Come on, let's go for God tonight. Anybody else real quick? We've got three wise people already. You won't be alone. I didn't embarrass them, and I won't embarrass you. Anybody else? Anybody else online? All right, well, let's give the Lord a hand for three wise people here in the house. All right. All three of you, or number four, five, and six, you should have raised your hand, but you didn't. It's not too late. Once you get a hold of your coat, purse, sweater, Bible, umbrella, mask, friend of you, just get your stuff. Get a friend of you, your friend. Why don't you get in the aisle and meet me up front because we're going to change destinies. We're going to pray together here at the altar tonight. So let's all stand and welcome them. If you raised your hand or you should have raised your hand, you just come right now. Come on, if you're online and you raised your hand, why don't you stand to your feet right now? Come on. Come on, let's pray together. Come on, right now. Come on, they're coming. Let's give them a hand. Amen. Come on, if you raise your hand or you should have raised your hand, come on down. Let's pray together right now. Let's pray together. Come on, keep it going for them. They're making their way down right now. They're still coming. They're still coming. Come on, if you need to come, you can come too. This is your time. This is your moment of salvation. Hey, thank you, God. You guys have come. I'm so happy for your new life in Jesus Christ. This is wonderful. Best decision of your entire life right here, right now. All right, I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer to invite Jesus. I'll give you simple phrases to say. Prayer is just simply talking with God, all right? So put your heart on the Lord like Moses did, right? See in the invisible God. You don't see him, but you know he's there. And you know he's listening to your prayers right now. He's listening to your words. Beyond the words of your mouth, he's listening to your hearts. If you mess up on a couple words, maybe you're like Moses, right? You stumble around. That's okay. You're still saved. You're still right with God. God's going to do a miracle in your heart, in your life. Those of you watching online or those of you that raised your hand but you didn't come forward, I don't know what held you back, but don't be reluctant with God. God's for you right now. So I want you to boldly pray this prayer with us. Let's all bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. And if you came forward tonight or maybe you need to pray this prayer right there in your seat or at home, pray these words out loud together with us in faith. Say, Father God, I come to you tonight in Jesus' name to give you all of my heart and all of my life. Please come into my heart. Be my Lord and my Savior. Forgive me my sin. Cleanse me of my past and give me a future with you, Lord. For I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he came, he died, and he's raised again to life just for me. Thank you, Jesus. Let it be known that from this day on, I am a Christian. I'm saved. I'm born again, headed for heaven. I'm learning your ways and following you for the rest of my life here on the earth. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Can we just celebrate our new brothers and sisters in the Lord? Welcome to the family of God. We are so excited for your new life in Jesus Christ. We love you guys. We have some free stuff for you guys. We want you to keep coming. So I have a friend right over here to my right, your left. This is Pastor Joel. He's just going to give you that free information, free literature. Take a minute or two of your time, and then he'll let you guys go, all right? So if you guys just make a left turn and follow Pastor Joel right this way, he'll get that stuff in your hands and take a minute or two to just talk to you. 
For those of you that are joining us online, you can hold those same materials and those same connections. If you'll just wait after we dismiss the church service tonight, we shout at the end of every church service that the Inland Empire shall be saved. That's the area that we live in. That's our region. Maybe you want to put the place where you live in there, and then right after that, you'll see a video that shares with you that information and how to get a hold of the things that you need to continue because you are loved. You're a part of the family, and we want you to grow and keep coming to church, whether it's here at The Rock or maybe if you're out of the area and you find a local church, my goodness, get in fellowship with other believers and grow in the things of God. Well, church family, I love you guys so much. Do you guys get something from the word of the Lord tonight? Good. Good. Stir those things up. Read your notes this week and be blessed. Ladies, you're going to have a wonderful time over the next two days in church, and then we're back in the weekend church services. Can I bless you guys as we go? Would you lift your hands to the Lord? Father, I bless the saints of God from the top of their heads to the soles of their feet. They are blessed in the city, blessed in the field, blessed coming, blessed going. May everything they put their hands to, they shall prosper. And Lord, with a great big shout of faith about our inland empire, we declare that the inland empire shall be saved. Thank you so much for joining us online. What a blast getting to do church with all of you. If you just gave your heart to Jesus and prayed the salvation prayer with our pastor, congratulations and welcome to the family of God. Here at The Rock, we wanna get you plugged in and set up for success as you start this new walk. In a moment, I'd like you to head to our Respond to God page so you can fill out some information and we can get in touch with you. We not only wanna send you some free material, we'd also like to get you hooked up with a friend who can help guide you through your new walk with Jesus. We have multiple friends available that would love to meet with you via a Zoom chat, a phone call, maybe an email, or any type of COVID-friendly interaction, they wanna meet with you. We have this wonderful little booklet called Welcome to Your Destiny, Easy Steps to a Successful Future with God. Now, if you live in the continental United States, we'd love to mail you this copy, this paper copy, and get it in your hands. If you don't live nearby, don't even worry about it. We also have electronic copies available in PDF format we would love to send your way. We also have this fun little comic book we'd love to send to any kids out there that just gave their heart to Jesus as well. This book is super fun. It helps explain their walk with God in a fun, age-friendly way that they can understand. So now what I'd like you to do, I'd like you to click on the link provided below. Now, if you can't find the link, it's okay. We're gonna send you to our webpage. We'd like you to go to rockchurch.com and click on the Respond to God tab in the bottom right-hand corner. This is gonna send you to a new page where we can get your information so we can send you a free copy of either one of these fun guys. And we can also get you hooked up with a great friend who will help you walk through these next steps. Well, it was so great hearing the word of God with you today. We can't wait to see you at our next service. And don't forget, God loves you and so do we.